Welcome to the Learn by Doing podcast. This is your host, Sue Brooks, and I have with me today, Pastor Mark Brewer. And I hey, am so ex- I'm so excited to be here. Hey, listen, I was telling my kids yesterday that I'd be interviewing Pastor Mark, and I said, what are some questions you think maybe I should ask him? So my nine-year-old son said, ask him how many jokes he tells during one day. Wow. Because he thinks you're funny. Well, so that's good. I love that question. Here's the problem. I don't have an answer because I never start out the day thinking I'm going to tell three jokes or 10 jokes and I really don't have any jokes. I'm just kind of in in the moment. (laughs) Hey, here's something funny to say, but I don't even think it through that much. Sure. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. I guess. And then my 14 year old said, ask him how many made up words he has. And I thought, do you know, have you counted? Do you write them down and keep them in a dictionary? Because if any of the listeners are wondering about this question, Pastor Mark is really great at making up words or actually maybe more like modifying words. Yeah, it's more just like you add a syllable <laughs> or you you say it in a way that it actually isn't supposed to be pronounced that way. So Yes, yeah. and it's really surprising at first to the people who have not heard it. Right, it so it you gets your hard. attention. Yes, and then to the people who know you, who have known you for a while, it's funny every single time. Really? I mean, I think so. Oh, this is amazing. Well, okay. Pastor Mark, you are the executive pastor here at Oaks Church. We are just south of Dallas, in case anybody's wondering. Uh, Executive pastor, let's talk about this. We have in our our culture, in our church culture, we have senior pastor, different titles. For instance, senior pastor, lead pastor, executive pastor, assistant pastor, pastoral care pastor. Can you define for our listeners, at least for you, what does that mean to be an executive? Yeah, well, probably people are trying to figure out, well, what does he really do uh, Mm -hmm. when they're thinking executive pastor? So this has been discovered over time, so I don't think we knew this 20 or 30 years ago, but I've been working with the same visionary leader for 30 years. You may know him. His name is Scott Wilson. So over those decades, we've developed a really good workflow, and uh, in the last few years, I think we've gotten better at understanding what it actually looks like. So uh, I see him as the visionary leader. And then I see myself as the visionary driver. If he's the culture leader, I'm the culture driver. And uh, so he's coming up with, hey, here's what I want to do, and here's why I want to do it. You know, I want to do this because the Lord says if we'll do this, you know, X, Y, Z. And then he shares that with me. And then my work is to go figure out how and when. So he's what and why. And then I spend most of my attention on how and when we can actually get that thing done. Well, that's a good description. So I want to ask you this in that role. Do you ever struggle with having your, your own visionary type things that you almost have to kind of squelch a little bit because it's not, it's his call and maybe not yours? Or how does that work? Or do you work together? Well, that's the big question. Anytime you start talking about, hey, what about the second and third and 10th and 20th person on the team? Uh, what's their role? And what are, uh, when did they get theirs? When did they get to have mm-hmm. their opportunity or whatever? And so I've never really seen it like that. I think early on in our ministry, I would uh, probably two or three times a year have some other leader say, hey, man, when are you going to get out from under Scott and go do your own thing? And uh, in some ways, I think that was kind of an honoring thing. They were saying, hey, maybe you have talent or ability that could you know, move you into other places. You don't always have to work for Scott. And yet it's been pretty much since the, you know, the very beginning, I have always felt called to Scott. I felt like God called me to help him. Um, and so I haven't had a lot of time thinking, what am I going to do uh, when I outgrow him or, or when am I going to get my thing or when am I going to be the man or, you know, the person on the team that people look to instead, I've, I've really made it real basic. 
you know, if you can't figure out how to make your life uh, connected to scripture, you're probably not doing Christian work. And mm-hmm. so I spend a lot of time in the word. And uh, so that's where I get most of my talking points and, and, and my cues for how to live my life. So I think Ephesians 4 is just a real simple framework for me. Paul, while he was in prison, uh, said to uh, the people there, hey, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, meaning this is my current calling. This is the role I'm existing in. And I think if we think in terms of calling, calling is always seasonal. The only calling that's not seasonal is the one that, hey, I'm called to follow Christ. That's not seasonal. Mm -hmm. That's eternal. But everything else is seasonal according to what God has said. And so Paul said, hey, as a prisoner for the Lord, being that was his current calling, Mm -hmm. uh, live a life worthy of your calling. And so I just make it real simple. I have a calling. God has told me to be here. God has told me to work with Scott Wilson. When he tells me not to, then it'll be time for me to go do whatever my other thing is. But it will always be subservient to the fact that I'm called to follow Jesus. This is my current role. So it makes it real simple for me. Got a calling from God. Everything else is seasonal. It just so happens that I've spent 30 years of this season uh, here at the same place. When I think about even being a parent to my children, I am happy to serve my children. So for me, this is how I can relate Mm -hmm. to to what your role is. It it is never beneath me to do something for my children. Uh, In fact, it's the biggest honor I could ever have is to serve them because there is a vision there. They're not driving, obviously, the vision, but there's a greater vision. And that is something, that humility, you know, the willingness to be humble in a culture like the one that we live in, especially nowadays, is quite a feat to undertake. Unfortunately, it's so unnatural. All the greatest things that ever happened in the Bible, uh, almost all of them, there were a few things like in Judges where people did a few solo acts, but, Mm -hmm. but most of the patriarchs had somebody running with them. Yes. And you see that in today's society. All the great companies that we so highly esteem and we highly esteem their, you know, originators or founders, they always had two or three people that were working right in lockstep with them. But you have to be okay with that being your calling. And I think being a second, there's two categories. You're a second, or and I, when I say second, I mean second through 100, whatever the other number is, you're not the first. So mm-hmm. you're a second because of calling. That calling could be for an extended period. It could be for an, you know, forever. It could be for a short period. Uh, the fact is you just need to own it. And I think what ends up happening, especially with younger leaders, is they, they see the calling of being a second as a real short transitional piece. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Uh, there are people that are geared to be a one and need to be a second for a season so they can learn, so they can experience, so they can learn what it's like to serve someone so they'll have more power and being able to lead other people because they've been on that side of the fence. But I think to overcomplicate it, it wouldn't be the best. Just make it real simple. Has God called me here or not? If he's called you here, then that's your calling. Your calling isn't what he might do 10 years down the road or what he Mm. might do next week. If he has called you here, then this is your calling. And uh, so I just make it real simple and I encourage people to do the same. If you know for sure that the Lord has asked you to do something beyond this and that at some point you're going to be the head honcho or you're going to be the owner of the company, great, no problem. Your operating day-to-day activity still needs to be basically the same whether you're called for a lifetime or you're called for a season. Wow, that's excellent. I want to talk to you kind of in in that sense. There's been different leaderships that you've served under. So Dr. Tom Wilson was the Mm -hmm. pastor when 
when you were saved and then when you came to work at the church, was that 89? It was 1989. 89. I want to talk to you about generational differences. I was just looking at gen- generation types this week. I think Dr. Tom, along with um, what my parents are, um, are what's called the silent generation. You're in there like up to the mid 40s, I think 45. I think you're like a Gen X. Hey, what, why are you hey, trying to put me hey, in a listen. category? Well, look, I'm a millennial. I fit under the millennial okay, category. Okay, so if you're Who 51, where do you fit? That's Gen X. I looked it up. Really? Hey, I mean, you get various answers. I'm a millennial, and then below me, then we have your Gen you have Gen Z. Z. And so you've served with a variety of generations. And sometimes we're leading generations that are before us and sometimes after us. So that creates an interesting dynamic. Do you have advice for or just perspective or any stories about what that, that looks like? Yeah. And, and then how to, to manage? Well, it's been very different, obviously, over the years because... Uh, one, there's there's different acceptance levels from generation to generation. So what Pastor Tom Wilson, his generation was able to accept, both from those they led and those who led them, was a decidedly different framework. And a lot of that ends up happening because of the culture that we live in. It's not as much a biblical precedent, at mm-hmm. least from my perspective, because at the end of the day, the Bible gives us some real simple framework. Uh, love God, love others as you love yourself. Go and make disciples, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, uh, serve one another out of reverence for Christ, serve with your whole heart. I mean, the precepts are very simply understood. Now, how you activate those maybe from generation to generation is a little bit different, but those things win. And uh, I think Paul had it right. He said, hey, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. My success in being able to be an intergenerational or multi-generational influence has more to do with me getting better at loving and being more like Jesus than just about any other operational piece. I get beat on all kinds of stuff, but I would say even in our organization, there's not many people that are going to beat me on the love game. I think across the board, I'm, I'm one of the top lovers of people, and so it gives me access points that sometimes the other operational skills and gifts just don't give you. And uh, so at the end of the day, that's how I think people win. That's how I think the woman of God, the man of God wins. But it is decidedly different because every generation has different cultural norms and expectations of how they see it going. But love beats all of it. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's, it, and there's a lot of talk, well, you need to do this with the millennials. You need to do this with the Gen Xers. Maybe, but that would presuppose that Jesus model wasn't something that could transcend time and culture. Mm-hmm. If we make some assumptions that uh, we've got to bow to what boxes we put people in, then it mitigates the power of Jesus' model. And again, you know, I know in a lot of ways I'm a simpleton. That's why I'm not writing a lot of books and stuff because I'm not complex enough to write books and stoke thinking. But love wins, and love's won it for me. And I think above all the other things you can do, and the Scripture says it, Proverbs said, hey, above all else, okay, so I don't know what's included in all else, but I know all the operational skill sets of intergenerational ministry must be included that. Above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it's from your heart that everything comes, and everything that you do emanates from that. And so, you know, I try to keep it close to that. I didn't give you a good answer because somebody right now is listening to this going, okay, but what are the three things I need to do? Well, (laughs) love God, love people, make disciples, 
I know, but what are the two trick moves for the millennials and the Gen Wires and the whoever's? Uh, love God, love your neighbor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Make disciples. That's so true. So. I, I think sometimes it's alluring to try to find a system and a way to do things mm-hmm. with different groups of people. We want to analyze our own personalities and other personalities and see how they fit together. Sometimes that can be interesting, and other times I do wonder if it's a way out of doing the simplest thing, well, which is actually those. the hardest thing. Who, who well, doesn't like taking right. the personality test I mean, and doing the inventories yeah. and then trying to figure out how to operate those you know, levers and dials? But those are all subsets to the more profound concepts of love one another. That's, that is the hard thing. Sometimes Jesus would give such a simple, simply understood but then really difficult to operate in you know, concept, serve one another out of reverence for Christ, you know, look to the needs of others more highly than your own. I think most of the leadership books, most of the podcasts, most of the teaching and training is helping us get a little more meat on that principal bone. You know, how can I do that in my relationships in today's age? And how can I counteract the presuppositions of this current generation I'm working with, which is, it it is tricky sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, I wanted to talk to you. You are good at loving people. You're also really good about your transparency with others. Like I said, like my kids love listening to you. I've watched our college students react really well. I've heard stories of my own peers. I mean, just really everybody. When Pastor Mark Brewer gets up, it's there's this level of transparency that, that makes people so comfortable. But you're really good at not crossing a line because there, there are parts of a testimony that, that are good to share in its time and in its context, you know, and at the right place. But you seem to be really great at knowing what's the appropriate and then what maybe needs to be told somewhere else. Is that something that you learned naturally? Was it something that was taught to you or was it kind of a trial and error like, oh, I overshared on this? Yeah, that's that- a great question. I think as pastors, as leaders, and whether you're, you know, you're a you're a pastor in a vocational ministry, or you're an organizational leader, a team leader in some type of marketplace ministry, at the end of the day, usually our first step is protection. And uh, I just made a decision early on that wasn't going to be my first step. Uh, My first step was going to be disclosure. And then I was going to allow the Lord to tell me how much not to disclose. Instead of assuming how much should I not, you know, should I disclose, I just start with, I'm going to tell them everything. Mm -hmm because the everything is is the story. And so I'm going to tell him everything. And then sometimes he says, well, tell him everything, but don't say it exactly that way. Or tell him everything, but you can leave out this detail. That needs to be an individual. And it, and it goes back to information handling. Some people can't handle the whole story. So it's not because I don't want to tell them or because I'm scared they're going to tell someone else. Some people emotionally cannot handle knowing certain things about people because they haven't developed enough maturity to be able to release that to the Lord and move on. And so that's that's usually what I'm looking at, especially in the context of organizational health. You guys know me. If you come into my office to meet, you can quote me on every single thing I say. And I usually if it's a person that's new to operating around me, I tell them that up front. Hey, by the way, Anytime we ever meet, I may not say this, but just know you can quote me on every single thing I say because I say names. I say the Mm -hmm. actual names of the stories and the situations. Only if I say, please don't quote me on this. And it's usually not because I want you to hide it forever. I just need to get ahead of it with the other person. Say, I just want to let you know that I shared this with them. And, you know, if I need to take my hits, then I take my hits. But it doesn't happen very often. So I think, again, 
the, the framework I'm working from is tell them everything, start there, and then allow the Lord to say, but don't share this or that or this piece or that detail, either because they can't handle the information emotionally, uh, they're not at that level, or because it's not the right context or audience to, to share some of those pieces. Yeah, that's great. There's so much freedom for the person hearing those things. Well, and It's you, always we, so encouraging. I've taken so many cues from Scott on that. You know, having been with him 30 years, I've watched that evolution of relatability happen in him. And he's very relatable. He and I are decidedly different in how we operate. We both are pretty similar in getting from A to B and have the same desires. But the, the way we get there, the nuances, and even our relatability looks different. But he is just, he's a world-class communicator because he's so relatable. Mm-hmm. That yeah. doesn't always yeah. mean he's telling you everything in the moment. But he is opening his life so you can see, hey, you know what? I'm a human being, and I got some struggles. And if I don't share these things with you, then you'll think I'm some type of spiritual automaton and just never have any chinks, which is exactly opposite of what the Scripture says about Jesus. Jesus had to be the man. If he came with any other power, then then coming as a man, then the whole perfect life and sacrifice doesn't even count. Because, like, well, he's playing a game that— is too easy for him. And, uh, you know, the scripture tells us he was tempted in every way just as we are, but was without sin. And we see all that pain Mm -hmm. and the way that he communicates with his followers and the anger he has sometimes and the sadness he has. And that's really powerful. But it's tricky to get there. That was one of the first things I learned as I began leading. I wanted everybody to tell me their stuff so I could help them. But boy, I didn't want them to know my stuff. (laughs) Yeah, You know, and I, I, I learned very quickly as I grew in leadership, I had more predisposition to hide. Wow. Oh, so a, so it's it, a new level of struggle e- each time. There's no then. doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I always encourage people, especially when they're young leaders. Hey, there's never a better time that, than now to put it all, on, all out on the table. Mm-hmm. Now's the time. Because if you can get it all out and then operate under a keeping it out, it, you can't build up a bunch of stuff in your closet. You know, and I've got time to be hiding stuff in the closet. Times of the essence, and if I'm trying to overmanage all the things that I don't want to get out, man, that's a tough life. It's a burden. It really is. Yes. So, you, so you are you're in a position, like you said, you at the beginning were wanting to hear people. You told me your things, but mm-hmm. maybe you didn't want to tell them. I'm assuming that this is correct, but you probably hear a lot, a lot of things that other people don't know. Whether it's complaints made about you know the church or people within it, um, hurts. Um, whether it's, let's see, maybe even threats or more moral failures or falling out. How is it that you handle knowing those things? How, how do you carry that burden? And then wh- how do you figure out what to tell Pastor Scott or what to even tell the staff? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you yeah. manage that? Okay, so first of all, uh, the way I, I manage is through a couple of filters. Again, they're biblical filters. Uh, the scripture says that the one that's forgiven much loves much. So that's me, dude, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's another one of those things I could probably beat most of our team on is the sin issue of how many times have I sinned and been forgiven. And so my love well is pretty mm-hmm. deep with that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, you know, the scripture says uh, Jesus made the statement, hey, don't judge. And everybody stops right there. Well, don't judge. You're not supposed to judge. Well, OK, no, what he really said is don't judge unless you're willing to be judged by the same measure. And so I'm always looking at that and going, when people tell me their problems and issues and I go and I think in my mind, man, I've got that mastered, 
it's real easy to do that comparison game, but I always compare their issues against whatever issues I'm still struggling unsuccessfully with or what I'm navigating through. And so it creates a tenderness in my heart to go, even though I've mastered making my bed, I've mastered learning how to flush the toilet, I've mastered, you know, <laughs> cleaning up the dishes, and they may not have mastered that yet. I can't compare the two. I've got to compare what I have not mastered against what they've not mastered. And so it gives me the ability to walk the journey with them and, and not try to hold on to the information. I do believe that I have an innate God gift to not hang on to the information. So I'm not going to act like it's all skill set. Yeah. I truly yeah. believe, and even my role here at Oaks Church and the neutrality that I have in dealing with uh, staff conflict and you know direct report to employee conflicts and stuff like that, I truly don't have a dog in the fight. So when mm-hmm. people come in and talk to me, I just go, look, humanity is humanity. I'm never surprised by the craziness or the extremeness of our issues. And those are all the things that are covered under the blood. So if they're already covered under the blood, I don't really want to spend a lot of energy managing that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll let Jesus manage that stuff. And so those are kind of the frameworks uh, that help me. I tell pastor everything, though. There's nothing that I don't tell him. Now, over the years, uh, sometimes if I know he's, you know, doing a— a two-day seminar and he's going to be getting blasted, I may have information that I wait until he gets back to share. (laughs) I don't always tell him immediately. Mm -hmm. A lot of times now I'm going to go fix those things and then I'll update him, just let him know that I fixed it. Uh, If it's something that I believe he needs to fix, then, then I'll wait, look for the opportunity to share both what the issue is and then a possible recommendation and then let him, you know, take care of it. As far as the downline staff, Again, I start with, I believe if we have people on the team that we think are on the hook for the spiritual eternity, the salvation, Mm -hmm. the eternal lives of people, if we trust people on our team for that, then there's not very much else that we can't trust them with on the information side. And so I like to keep as much out there as possible. And I start with, I'm going to tell everything unless the Lord says, no, that wouldn't be wise or don't add this detail or wait on that and until later wow. does and and i'm not even saying that's the way to operate it's the only way that i can operate and that's the way it needs to be you know if you're if you're the leader of a group it has to work for you or it's not going to work and 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 so i still serve people i love people i care about people but it's got to be a way of operating that fits with who i am and that's just how it works right now i i feel like a lot of times when it comes to information a lot of organizations and even ministries are are a little more fear driven we can't we can't tell them everything we have to protect them yeah it's scary you know, it is it's yeah, scary. yeah yeah that, yeah look i get it it's scary as anything yeah but you make a good point we're trusting them with the souls of other people like we're trusting them that they can carry that out well then why can't we trust them with this other stuff you know the Jesus didn't operate that way. He took those little old tender upper high school and young adult boys into the worst parts of society to the center and tax collector parties. And yeah, there might be ones and twos of those centers and tax collectors that were redeemed at those parties. But by and large, the overwhelming percentage wasn't. And he took them in those dense illicit behavior over and over and over again. No wonder the religious leaders were looking at him and going, what are you doing, you idiot? You're taking people to the worst parts of society. And yet that's why Jesus said, look, man, guys, I know I'm going to do it different than y'all, differently than you guys. I've actually come to help those people that are in those dens of sin. And, uh, but it is risky. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've managed through that with my kids. I've told them, I said, 
I've taken a risk allowing you to be more closely connected to people who aren't living for the Lord. And I've, I've done that, and it's, a, it's you know, I'll, I'll only know later, maybe decades <laughs> later, as to how risky it really was. But I want you to do it the way Jesus did it, not that you're imbibing, but that you're impacting. And I know anytime I allow for you to be around some of that stuff, it has the possibility of, of harming you, but I'm not sure another way to do it. You know, and I'm, I don't just yeah. throw them out there in crazy places. Right. I know where they are. We got <laughs> yes. the Life 360 thing. You know, we know what house they're in. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Brian and I are going through that right now. Our oldest just started high school. But it, these things in the world don't just start there and they don't just start in middle school. I mean, they're rampant mm-hmm. throughout. And so, yeah, we, we deal with that struggle. They have to learn this at some point. And if they don't know it now and then we throw them into it when they're in college, is that very helpful yeah. to them? And, yeah. and so that we just all we got to do is is just take that to another level as leaders. You know, the Pharisees probably didn't start out as a bad group, but they became bad over time because they lost the heart of the reason behind some of their activities. They just didn't want the people of God screwing up. They didn't want the people of God to go back to idolatry. So they started building all of these additional extra-biblical frameworks to make sure people didn't screw their lives up. And we have such a tendency as pastors and leaders to do the same thing. We had to be careful with that. Wow, yeah, that's interesting. That's a good perspective on that. I hadn't thought about that. Yay, Um, I win. Yeah, yay. (laughs) So in dealing with staff in your role as executive pastor. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I want to talk about it in church ministry, church staff. I mean, I've, I've seen it in the, I think I'm on, going on six years now here. There's a lot of people who are called into other ministries or called out. And sometimes it can feel like there's maybe a lot of turnover. When you've been mm-hmm. in a place for a really long time, you see how many people have come and gone. And a lot of times it's for good reasons. Mm-hmm. They're planning a church. They, they're going out on the mission field or something like that. So when it comes to taking the vision of the senior pastor and helping to execute that, but also dealing with what seems a, a lot of turnover. What do you have tips for people out there listening who are in that role right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Now, uh, if you have an organization of 50 people on staff, there's always going to be a higher level of absolute turnover. Now, maybe not percentage turnover, but absolute turnover you know and so it's a statistics game where you can manipulate the data and make it look different you know yeah. in different places one of the things that i think we came to recognize over the years is that god has called us to be an equipping sending church and so with that assumption then my assumption is that most people are coming here to stay for a season they're not coming here to stay forever and we have to start there and that's really played out. Yeah, you know, I've been here 30 years, but I'm an anomaly when you're talking about staff members. It just doesn't happen that way. So I'm assuming when someone comes, they're coming for the season that the Lord has for them to receive what we have to give them and for them to give what they have to give us and a cross-pollination of DNA. And then from that, we're going to be better. And then from that, when they leave, they're going to be better. Now, by and large, the last number of years, Almost all of the leavings have been very upfront, very helpful, very easy, you know, for the most part. But there have been other seasons where people were leaving because our culture stunk. <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> honestly, uh, the bottom line is that there were seasons when we were confused about who we were. We were confused about what we wanted. We were confused about what needed to happen next. And so just like we do when we're confused, we're kind of grasping for things and chasing things. 
and getting scared that God wasn't going to come through. So we do stupid stuff sometimes. We hire without you know, a better understanding because the need's so intense. So there were seasons that, that we did that. There were also seasons when we weren't handling our finances right, and then all of a sudden we realized, holy smokes, just our operating expenses are $500,000 more than they, we're, we're about to bleed out. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what do you do when you're $500,000 in arrear and you're about to, uh, arrears and you're about to bleed out? You can't go chip away at that. You can't go, oh, well, let's use different type of toilet paper. Or let's, uh, Turn the lights uh, off yeah, like every time you leave your office. No, you fix mm-hmm. that by lopping stuff off. Yeah. You know, as the scripture says, if the, if the tree's bad, it gets cut down. If the tree's good, it gets cut so it can produce more fruit. So you're going to get cut no matter what. Oh, in I was life. like, what's the scripture that you have with that? Well, you yeah. just gave it. Well, <laughs> you just gave it. A lot of people think that somehow you're going to make it unscathed. No, if Jesus yeah. loves you, you're going to get cut. Yeah. If you're not following Jesus, you're going to get cut, but it's more absolute. And so as leaders, we need to recognize that. So there were seasons when stuff was getting cut because it was bad tree stuff. And there, not that the people were bad. Our tree was bad. The culture wasn't right, or we were running out of money, or we were having problems, or we were mismanaging, we were misleading. Nobody ever woke up in the morning and goes, hey, how can we screw everybody's lives up? Right. But there were probably some people that thought we screwed their lives up. Mm-hmm. That's tough, you know? Yeah. But I think most of those days are over. There was a time when all staff meant someone was leaving. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so oh, no. Because it wasn't as regular as it is now twice okay. a month. So we'd have an all staff. It was every- like a goodbye party? Like a going or, away or, or just an announcement that the person's gone. There wasn't much good no, in no the party. Bye. No yeah, party. It was mostly <laughs> no, just no good it was bye. mostly just bye. Yeah. Uh, and we needed to update you guys. And uh, but we you know we walked through those seasons. There's no easy way to do it. But I think as a leader, the number one thing you've got to recognize is people are here for a season. If you look at Jesus' example, he's the prime example. He was here for a season, start and finish. So if you want to be like Jesus, then your life is going to be seasonal, okay? There was a season when he was a kid and learning and trying to be in his father's house. There was a season when he was doing kind of the pre-work for his ministry. There was a season of three years. Then there was a season after that where he was the resurrected Messiah and walked around, hung out with some people and showed himself and had some people poking on him, making sure he was real and the scars were real. Everything is a season. I look at people and go, if I hire you or you're here, then I know you're here for a season. And you're either dying or you're leaving. Or, you know, if you believe in the pre-trib, then you're flying. You get to fly out of here, you know, <laughs> if the bad stuff starts happening. Yes. I was going to ask you a follow-up comment. And it's that I've seen plenty of leaders, particularly in ministry, who get personally offended when people leave, when their mm-hmm. time is up. Yeah. And so that's such a healthy mindset that we are here for a season. It will end somehow, some way. And I, I think that it, it does benefit a leader to understand that we hold things lightly right. and we let God take them take them and move them. And we cannot be personally offended. It's not personal. It right. really isn't. Well, the breakee is always in more pain than the breaker. I don't mm-hmm. care who it is. So if we have somebody on our team and then they come and say, hey, I think our season's done, but we weren't sensing it, then we're the breakee. And your heart, your it, heart hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is still, uh, you know, a little painful. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're going to have to trust the Lord on this stuff. And just because I can't see it doesn't mean that it's not so. So if someone comes and says, hey, I feel like the Lord's moving me, then I want them to go test their connection with the Lord and see if it's real. And we're just, you know, people that are making transition here usually have a real easy time of 
checking in with their direct report and say, hey, I don't know what's happening here, but I think there may be a shift happening. And we have plenty of people that are on staff and positions now that are different than where they were before. And they usually started it with, I feel a shifting, I feel a shaking, I feel a moving. I don't know if that means moving over or moving out. And then we just start the journey with them. And, and that way it's, it's, it's about God instead of about personalities or us or am I getting what I need. You and Pastor Scott have both communicated quite often to us as staff that, that it, you are a safe place to be told those things. But I don't know that's the natural inclination for someone who is hired uh, by somebody else. That's the last thing you would ever do mm-hmm. because of, quite frankly, job security. You know, if you sure. feel like there's a transition coming, maybe the church world is the safest place to do that. But it's still quite unnatural to do because you want to protect yourself. Yeah. But are you are you saying then that that at the Oaks for and for any leaders who are are listening, if they are leading their church, would you advise them? You have to be a safe place for them to come and communicate. With, you yeah. if there's change yes and and uh, and so now i'm gonna get real spicy pg-13 your open door policy doesn't mean crap it's letting you know so if you're a leader and you have your supposed quotation mark open door policy that i mean jack okay uh, because people are making up their own reality by your day-to-day activities not because you have a policy you know yeah. that doesn't fix anybody and so i think jesus gave us the bottle there's a big difference between an arm's length ministry and an armpit ministry. Mm-hmm. Jesus was armpit nestled up with his disciples, okay, all along the way. And that's the example that we have. But if you're not that way with your team, even though you say, hey, man, you can tell me anything. Hey, you can, you can, if you feel like it's time to go, come talk to me, they're still going to feel scared. How do I know that? Well, all we have to do is look at our families. I'm the safest place in the whole world for all three of my kids. But how many times have my kids been nervous to come talk to me about something that was very meaningful or scary or potentially risky for them because they either didn't want to disappoint me, they were scared about my response. Wow. I'm the safest dude they know. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, I'm the most experienced dude they know (laughs) in many areas. (laughs) And yet for them, that's still scary. Wow. So it's on us many times. Now, you know, there, there is a, a law of diminishing returns, you know, that you keep doing more and more and maybe it's still not going to fix it on some people. But I want us to build a new generation of pastors who are open-handed in doing what God's asked them to do and open-handed with their sons and daughters. I want my sons and daughters to be all that God wants them to be. And sometimes their testing of that or checking in on that may look different than differently than what I want. And mm-hmm. if I want them to hear from God rather than me, then I got to give them those shots to go hear from God instead of try to control all the variables. And so that's how we operate. It's still difficult. I know there are still people that might be nervous or scared to talk to their direct report about potential leaving, but we've gotten better at noticing it. You can tell most of the time in this culture when it's time for somebody to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just starts sticking out. What are, uh, what are some of those signs? I think what ends up happening is they have less and less ability to manage the nuances of bumping into each other in the hallway. And, and when I say the hallway, I'm just talking about our, our daily activities of how we get stuff done. When you find yourself as a staff person getting more and more irritable about the nuances of you know, uh, oh, we missed this deadline, or someone didn't communicate to me, or this thing happened, you, you need to go check in with the Lord. Because as that 
that margin begins to diminish, that cushion begins to diminish, the calling begins to fade sometimes. And really, it's a great indication. So would that would that also be the same uh, as I've heard termed the grace lifting? Exactly. Yeah, the grace lifting, you know, we kind of made that up or somebody made it up and we use it a lot around here. When the grace is lifted, then you don't have any power to keep kind of moving forward. It takes more and more energy to do the same activity. I like looking at uh, Colossians 3.23. It was the first scripture I, you know, I wanted our kids to memorize. And it says this, whatever you do, Okay, it's again, I like the whatever passages because it mm-hmm. fits everything. Okay, it every literally single means thing. everything. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. not fun, you know, yeah. for a kid, but, right. but for a dad, <laughs> yes. that's great. Hey, whatever you do. Yes. You know? Okay, so whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord rather than men. Okay, so if I just take that verse and I superimpose it on my day to day thinking and my day to day activity, I can quickly ascertain, am I doing these things with my whole heart? If I'm not, then you can guarantee you're building a bucket of resentment. And if you're building a bucket of resentment, you're living in a space either that you shouldn't be or you got to go get that right with the Lord. And those are telltale signs of it's time to go. Now, as a, as a leader of people, I can see when that stuff starts happening. You know, people start getting chippy, uh, people start getting more and more frustrated or their length of frustration, it lasts longer, you know, before mm-hmm. it could get mm-hmm. fixed in 30 seconds and now it's 30 days and I, I, I keep mm-hmm. hearing the same type of conversation. It just stands out really quickly to me. And I think over time, the more that you lead and the more people you lead, it'll be easier to see that. But I would say for anybody that's working for someone, if you're doing things and you're not doing them with your whole heart, that's a key indicator that you're not called to do that. Or if you are called to do that, you need to get your butt in the prayer closet and get that right with the Lord. Yeah, I was going to say, what you know, there there might be this difference too. And what do you, how do you know when it's time to go or maybe it's time to just grow? Mm-hmm. Like you, you're supposed to be here. Yeah. Time to grow up. Yeah. Time to like just deal with this. And most of the time, God's the one that needs to tell you that. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, and then you'd have to be in relationship with him. And maybe right. that's what needs to be. Yeah. Checked. Well, you know, half the time we're doing stuff for God, but we're not really spending time yeah. with God. So right. it makes it easy to just be doing all this stuff for the Lord, but your relationship with him is, is somewhat shallow. Which is and interesting. It's so easy to do that in a church. I think it's so easier easy to do it in the staff. church than it is in the marketplace. Yeah. Because you're faced with a whole different set of variables. Right. And uh, hey, man, we can make everything being about you know, working for the Lord, everything can somehow get fit in, you know, in that bucket. But the heart check is really a a big one. You know, and I I learned that with Melanie over time. It actually took me about 25 years. (laughs) This year's 26. So uh, so I finally learned it. (laughs) But what I realized is if I can't say yes with my whole heart, then I need to tell her, baby, I actually can't say yes with my whole heart. So I'd like to not do that. And I either need to go get it right with the Lord or we need to look at another way of doing this. And that started helping me because for a bunch of years, I'd say yes, but my heart wasn't in it. And so the only way that energy gets handled is by being put in a bucket of resentment. And then yeah. I'd have this secret bucket of resentment building and fuming. And I'd act in ways I'm going, where did that come from? And it really was just that bucket being built up because of so many times I did activity that was the right activity but I didn't do it with the right heart. Again, the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't mad at some of their activities. He just said, you guys have lost the heart. That's why he called them whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside. The activity is there, but the heart's not there. 
So mm-hmm. that's that's how I kind of test that, at least for myself. That's good advice. I, w- I want to talk about, I don't know how up to date your profile is on the Oaks website. So I have, but I have a question mm-hmm. here. It looks like, looks like on, on that list, one of the biggest fears was being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Is that still, is that still, because oh, I know that some of those things change the, over the time. The biggest fear I have is that people wouldn't like me and they wouldn't like me because they've misunderstood me. Okay. So I totally resonate with that. I, I am realizing over time when I get really agitated about something, my issue is that I cannot stand being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So when I go to communicate something and someone's heard something different, oh man, that really gets to me. Or if I've, said or done something with really good intentions mm-hmm. and some someone somehow is offended i i cannot handle that yeah. so are there ways that you have been able to grow in in handling that because well I'm that can better, be really debilitating well very much so and I, listen let's just be honest about this i'm much more skilled at handling that in the day-to-day vocational life than i am in my home life if there's ever, always right yeah always if, uh, you know it's sad it's yeah i guess it shouldn't be that way or maybe that's exactly how god designed it but if there's ever a place where i will get more hurt more quickly uh, more intensely about being misunderstood it's always going to be with melanie even more so the kids but the kids can very much hurt me too mm-hmm. but then i just slough it off well you're just an idiot kid what do you know anyway you just don't even yes. know you know that's your defense yeah melanie i'm like well <laughs> she ought to know better or she she should not be assuming this or she shouldn't be accusing me for this i think in the day-to-day living in this space and, and vocational ministry and leading this organization it doesn't come out as much i deal with that more secretly uh my responses are more uh, inward but they're it plagues me it, it plagues me if a junior high kid didn't like me mm-hmm. okay so there was this lady that came to work here a while back and uh, she was walking down the hall with Barbara, uh, our HR director. And I knew that I didn't really know this lady, but you know how I am. Dude, I'm full frontal hug. Uh-huh. Now, I wouldn't recommend that for all pastors, but right. whatever, dude. You know, that's that's me. I'm full frontal. Let's go. And so they're walking down the hall. I, I'm walking toward them with my arms open wide as Barbara's introducing me. And, you know, and I'm going in like I usually do. I'm so glad we have been waiting for you to be on this team, you know, like this. Well, as I got within about two feet, that lady cringed and hid behind Barbara. Literally, I'm talking oh a grown goodness. woman hid from my hugging, trying to hug. Well, gosh, Barbara's dying laughing. I'm I'm going, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I, I you know, hurt this lady or whatever. Mm-hmm. It plagued me for days. Barbara said, no, she's okay. She's fine. She's just not a hugger. And you freaked her out. And she's not used to anybody coming at her like that. But I thought about that probably 50, 60 times over the next couple mm-hmm. of days. Now she didn't work here anymore because <laughs> you know if you if you can't if you don't like hugging around here, you ain't gonna be able to last her. You're long. not going. Yeah, to last. yeah. And you know that's fine. She's found a, a place that fit her more. But yeah, whether it's a junior high kid, whether it's an old person in the seat on Sunday morning, whether it's somebody on the stage, if I feel like they're accusing me of something or they've misunderstood my intent, it's very painful. And I don't have a lot of tricks on how to fix that. I usually just have to go mm, I sell it with the Lord. Just, <laughs> I, 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 you know, a good question to ask is, uh, am I loving them well? And if I can get a good amen on that from God, then I'm not going to be able to manage the dials any more than that. That yeah. doesn't always fix it. You know, I still right. think about it. But I just go, did I love them well? Did I do my best? 
okay, well then I don't know what else I can do. You know, God, is there something you want me to do? If he tells me, I go and do it. If not, then I just keep bringing it back to him. Every time it comes up, Lord, I settled that with you already. It came up again. Here it is again. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get some work done. There's a nice running theme I've noticed throughout this interview, and it's that you choose to love the people that mm-hmm. you work with and that you work for and that you're that are working for you. And so that is that's such a great foundation. It seems uh, it's a it's a simple word. It's the only it, it's leverage the piece path. I have. I heard yeah. a, I read a book called The One Minute Millionaire a number of years ago by I think the guy's name was David Allen, David G. Allen or something. And he had a chapter in there and he had a phrase in there and he, he said it's leverage. It's using love as leverage to get stuff done. And I think that's probably the best tool I got in my tool belt is love. And so I use it. That's good. <laughs> I wield it. <laughs> that's very good. Pastor Mark, it has been a great joy to interview you. Listeners, you, dare, I dare you to count the number of truth bombs that he that he led during this interview. I dare you. He had you. so many. I, know, I, I don't dare know. You, you dare you. You dared me to gurgle you, water and I didn't do you it. You haven't done it yet. I'm not doing it. You said you would. Are you serious? Come on. You know I'm about to Just do it. Just exit us out with the gurgle. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Learn By Doing podcast.